This is session number six on Ephesians three fourteen to 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. So we are children of the Father. That's our name. We have a Father. In order that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, so here begins the prayer, that you being strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person, the inner man. Now that's as far as we got last time. And my question now is, when he says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, is he praying as though this clause that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith is a result or purpose of this one. May you be strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Or is this that and this that coordinate and both dependent on this grant you so that it would read like this. May he grant you, one, that you be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner person. Two, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, so that these two are coordinate, stand side by side as contents of what he's asking for here. Or is this that clause dependent on this one as a result or a purpose? That's the fundamental question. And the second question would be, why do you pray in the first place that Christ would dwell in the hearts of believers? He's praying for believers. These are Christians that he's praying for, not unbelievers. So, Father, as we attempt to answer these two questions about this tremendously important prayer that Christ would inhabit, would dwell in our hearts through faith. What could be more important than that the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of his bride, would take up habitation and live in our hearts? Oh God, grant that this would come to pass, that Paul's prayer would be answered even as we meditate on it. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, for those of you who watch me and wonder if I'm making sense out of the Greek as well as the English, let me just point something out, and maybe this will give a little incentive for others of you to pursue the original languages. This in order that is hina, the Greek connecting phrase, in order that. So is this one, hina, right here, in order that. So is this one, hina, in order that. That little Greek word hina means in order that, in order that, in order that. So those are the three hinas, and those are all purpose clauses. Now this that here is an infinitive, not a hina. And this is an infinitive. And both in English and in Greek, infinitives can have purpose meanings or result meanings. I'm going to town to buy some food, and to buy is an infinitive, 
and it's a purpose of going to town. And so it has the same function here. So there's the structure of all the connecting um, logical connectors here. These two are ambiguous, and that's why I'm posing the question, is this one coordinate with this one as a second content of what's being asked for, or is this one a purpose or result of this one? Now, to answer that question, I would ask first, does it make any sense biblically from what we know about Paul to say, I pray that you would be strengthened by the Spirit, and when the Spirit has made you strong, Christ would, as a result of that strengthening Spirit in the inner person, take up residence in you or experience His present manifestation in you. And it doesn't make sense, not very easily anyway. Rather, it makes sense that praying that they would be strengthened and praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts are two ways of saying essentially the same thing. Because we know, and I'll just give you a bunch of texts real quick, that Christ gives the strength. He doesn't come because we've already gotten strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord. That's how you get strong, in the Lord. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank him who was has given me strength, Jesus our Lord. He's the one who gives the strength. 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's the one that gives the strength. 2 Timothy 4.17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. 2 Corinthians 12.9, but the Lord said to me, the Lord Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. That's how you are strong. It's my power in you. You don't get strong and then I come and uh, manifest myself because of you've gotten strong another way. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I conclude that this clause that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith is not a result or a purpose of our being strengthened separately from Christ's coming, but they are coordinate. They both happen at the same time to be strengthened through the Spirit and for Christ to dwell powerfully in us are the same coordinate events. They happen together. Now the question is, what does he mean by praying for Christians that Christ may dwell in your hearts? Do you pray for Christians that way? I mean, when you're in a, in a prayer meeting, do you pray for your church? Oh God, I, I pray that by faith Christ would dwell in the hearts of our people. And if you prayed it, what would you mean? That's our next question. We know that there's no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit of Christ, without Christ. Here's Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to him. So if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not a Christian. But if Christ, and he shifts from the Spirit of Christ to Christ, 
But if Christ is in you, though your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. In other words, not to have Christ in you is not to be a Christian, to be saved, to be born again. So, we come back and we say, all right, Paul, you've made that plain. Why are you praying that Christ would dwell in the hearts of your people through faith? What, what do you mean? I'll give you two clues from first from Galatians 2.20 and then from Galatians 4.19. I have been crucified with Christ. That's a definitive event. When we are born again, we are united to Christ through faith, and his death counts as ours, and we die with him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So to be a Christian is to have this happen to you. You die with Christ because you're united with him, and Christ then is your life. Christ lives in you. And the life, so it says, it's no longer I, but Christ. But now he says, the life I now live. So there's a sense in which the old self no longer lives, but the new self, the new person united to Christ lives the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. So here's what I think he's saying. To have Christ living in me happens insofar as I am united to Christ and I am united to Christ through faith. Where faith is dead, there is no presence of Christ. And you could say, where faith is strong and growing, Christ is manifestly more powerfully present. And where faith is weak, our experience of the presence of Christ is weak, and his presence is not clearly manifest in our lives. So there's a coordination between faith here and our living the life of Christ in us. So I come back and I say, one meaning, probably, that Paul has in mind when he says, I want, I'm praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, is that I'm praying that your faith not fail, but endure, persevere, so that Christ and his presence would endure and persevere. I don't believe people lose authentic faith or lose authentic salvation. But if you don't have authentic faith, you don't have Christ dwelling in your heart. And one of the means by which God preserves the faith of his children is by prayer. 
And so Paul is praying that Christ would perseveringly, enduringly dwell in their hearts. And there's the second meaning I think he may have. Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul thought of himself as kind of um, um, giving birth to the fullness of Christ in the people or midwifing the fullness of Christ in, in the church. And so Christ is being formed in believers. And so I would suggest that not only is he praying for the ongoing endurance of the presence of Christ in our hearts, but also the transformation of the fullness of Christ, that is becoming fully conformed to Christ. So you could put, uh, this would be, let's call number one, persevering presence. Number two would be transforming presence. So when he prays, oh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he means, oh, that your faith in Christ would be such that Christ flourish, that is, have a manifest presence that never fails because your faith doesn't fail. And secondly, may this faith be such that Christ dwells transformingly. May he be fully formed in your life. One last comment, and this is surprising. If we go back to verse 16, that you may be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. And we ask, how does this strengthening of the inner person happen by the Spirit? Wouldn't the answer be, at least part of the answer, it happens through faith. The Spirit moves us to see the truth of promises bought by the blood of Jesus. And in seeing them, our faith is strengthened. And now the surprising result is maybe this, that actually does have a result or purpose sense as well as a coordinate sense, because it would mean something like, oh, how I pray that you would all be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person as the spirit makes your faith stronger and stronger And it is by that very faith growing stronger that Christ dwells in your hearts. 